always and never. Do you ever use those words? Think about when you use those words. They're usually used to make a point. You are always too early. You're never on time. You are always late. You are always worrying about where we're going to go and when. You never clean up. You never do your chores. You never do your homework. I'm always having to tell you what to do. Does it sound familiar? We can do this with small things or large things. Always and never are really simple ways of saying you are being unreasonable and you don't realize it. And for us to move forward, you need to shift what you're doing. Stop being always and never. There's superlatives we use to make our case. And do we not experience, especially today, a lot of always and never? It's how, unfortunately, our whole culture and climate is living, and it's seeped into our own lives. We're in this series we've called By Our Love. We titled it very simply because Jesus on the night he's betrayed, when he's with his closest friends, those he's been developing, it's called disciples, that he's helping these people become like him and follow him, he tells them this really simple thing. He says, listen, the way the whole world is gonna know who I am and that you're with me is how you love each other. He says it's by your love. That's literally what Jesus tells them. Now, I want to fast forward past Jesus' resurrection. Paul, this guy who's actually, when Jesus first rises, is going out and taking down people who say Jesus rose, trying to kill them, put them in prison, has this amazing encounter with God, and suddenly becomes a champion of Christianity, actually goes to different cities and begins to tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but also displays the power of Jesus' resurrection and all these little, we call them churches today, but communities of people following Jesus are rising up all over what is now Turkey and ultimately to Greece and Rome and all sorts of other places. Well, after Paul's with one of these groups in particular, he begins to get word back that they are not being so loving like they used to be. You know, a few years go by, things start to grate on people, sound familiar? all that unique funness and excitement of Jesus' resurrection begins to pale in things that they begin to see in their differences. And Paul writes this whole letter kind of talking to them about all the things they're now fractured over rather than together on. And where we were and where we are in this series is Paul now getting to a place to give them a picture of what it can look like instead of what it is like. Because there are great things going on. This is a city in the area called Corinth. And he says this about all the good things happening, though. He says things like this. If I speak of the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, to be clear, this idea of the tongues of men and angels, it happens the first time in Acts chapter 2, when this whole group of people who are following Jesus are filled with the Spirit, and they begin to speak in a tongue they don't know, and each one is speaking in the tongues of the people in the room, in the area, the outside, telling them about how great the Lord is. It's supernatural and wild. Come on, that's awesome, isn't it? It's not like they suddenly did Rosetta Stone or they figured it out. They don't know what they're saying and God's speaking through them. What Paul's saying is you can have an amazing supernatural encounter, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. He says it several more times in several ways. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, if God reveals hidden things to me, if I can fathom the mysteries of all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, if I can move the mission forward, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Sometimes, and there's some of us who think, you know what, it's getting things done that matters. And Paul's saying, well, 
Is it? Is it just getting it done? He says it one more time. I can give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Paul is very simply trying to give a picture to this early church. You have started to use always and nothing. You have said your relationships are moving past reasonable. Have you ever broken a relationship because they're just being unreasonable? I mean, come on, aren't people unreasonable? Amen, aren't people unreasonable? Just bring them here, I'll tell them they're unreasonable for you. You tell me what they need to know and I'll tell them. That'll fix it. I mean, let's be honest, our relationships are breaking down all over the place, in our families, in generations. Every way you can consider it, they're breaking down. And what Paul's saying is we missed the calling of following Jesus because it's all about love. Now from here, he starts to give a picture of what it can look like. What I'm going to read to you right now, even if you haven't been in church, you'll be familiar with it. Because very simply, it is read at weddings often. And we read it like it's this wonderful poem. Oh, you should do this and you should do that. That's beautiful. But Paul's writing this saying you guys have lost sight of what this could be. You've settled for something else. You've made love reasonable and reciprocal only. And when there's differences, you pull out and you divide. And then he says, I'm going to give you a vision for what it can be, for who Jesus actually is. And this is where we were in the last three weeks. So when we began the series, we looked at just these, these two statements, love is patient and love is kind. Now, I'm not going to go into the depth of all that they mean. They mean more than simply an idea of, well, you kind of hang on and deal with it and you're nice to people. It's much deeper than that. But we called it the do's. These are the ways we are to live. These are the things that should mark people who follow Jesus and their relationships. Then week two, we looked at what we call the don'ts. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Tell me that's not a love you want to be part of. And let's make no mistake, we want to receive this, don't we? We just think there's a lot of things that are unreasonable to give it. And then last week... Thad looked at what we call rejoicing. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And he made this really profound statement. Rejoicing, the literal word for it in the Greek, is actually this word, rejoicing, too. So it's really love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with truth. This idea of what in love compels us and moves us forward. And let's be honest. When you have difficulty with someone and they've treated you poorly, is it not easy to rejoice when it goes south for them? We actually call it karma which by the way is not Christian. (laughs) We like it when retribution happens. What Paul's saying is there's a different kind of love that we've lost sight of in the church. There's something greater that you and I have somehow missed. Oh, there's so much more to be had than we know. Now let me give you this picture before we get into today's. I want to be clear that love is the goal of the Christian life. When Jesus walks the earth, multiple times he's asked by different people who are in the Jewish way, hey, what matters most? And they ask, what's the most important law? But what they're saying is what matters most? What summarizes God's very creation of humanity, God's moving through Israel and what will be of the Messiah? And Jesus says it's really simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now you realize the goal is to love. And by the way, it's not reasonable and it's not 
kind of reciprocal. It's loving with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they ask, what's the second? And he says, this other one's connected to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that means we not only love God, we love others. That's what we're to do. We're to live in this loving way. Now, what I love is they ask the question, well, who's my neighbor? And they're not thinking Mr. Rogers. Well, it's a beautiful day today. Yep, sure it is. But what they're thinking is, if you tell me who my neighbor is, then I know who it's not, so I can limit who I have to be loving to. Tell me who's like me that I can love only them. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but Jesus tells a story when they ask this question about this poor person in need, and two of the people that you'd think were the heroes that are people like the audience don't do it, and then he picks someone that is actually their arch enemy. So I'll tell it to you this way. If you all were a room full of Ohio State Buckeye fans, I would make Jim Harbaugh the hero in this story. That's what Jesus does. Notice I didn't pick Michigan fans to pick the Buckeyes. Notice I didn't pick Spartan fans to pick, I'm just kidding, it's all anywhere. You get the idea, Jesus picks the people we think are not worthy of us to tell us that's our neighbor because he's giving a picture here. And, and don't make, make no mistake, this could be anything. For some of us, you're getting older and you know what you're thinking? These younger people do not live and love and do life the way they're supposed to. They're not gritty, they're not like me, they're not worthy of love. And the younger people look at the old people, and go, these people are so stuck in the mud. So generationally we say, you're not my neighbor. Then we do this with each other over all sorts of things we think. Do you know that if we think of how polarized we are politically, when a room full of conservatives, guess who Jesus would make the hero? A liberal. Oh, that's scandalous. It couldn't be. What Jesus is saying is your neighbor is everyone around you and people not just like you, but people different than you. That's who you learn to love. Now let's be honest. In a world of today, that is a contradictory message, isn't it? And so we've been in this asking, what does this look like? And we're getting pictures of things we never could do. And what I want you to see today is Paul uses always and never, but not as a statement of how to keep you from having to do too much, but as a vision for what it could be. And this is what he says. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres. Now we're gonna go through all of these and make no mistake, by the way, always just means in every situation. What Paul is saying is no matter what's going on, love always actually protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. As we're going through this, I want you to think of kind of three basic questions to ask yourself. So the first one is, what does this tell me about who Jesus is? Because by the way, Every one of these attributes is who Jesus is and how he loves. Jesus always protects. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always perseveres. The second thing will be an honest reflection for yourselves of how am I really doing at these things? Where's the gap in my life? And please, if you, and let's be honest, every one of us agree we're not always any of these things? Amen? Amen. If you're not sure, come see me afterwards, I'll remind you. The third thing though, is not only do we wanna grow in our understanding of who Jesus is to us, but we're asking God to help us become more like him in those places of gaps as I will feel them and you will feel them, as we will think about them, we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to help us become more like this. Not to just rest where we are and make no mistake, not to be reasonable. I do not want you to be reasonable. Reasonable is not the kind of love that God brings. 
Let me start with the first one that it always protects. Love always protects. This word literally means to cover or actually can mean to keep hidden. No, it doesn't mean you ignore or pretend like it didn't happen. It means that love itself sees failure, sees weakness, sees offense, and covers it, meaning it allows it to move on. It doesn't cause retribution. It's not reasonable with it, that love always protects. Peter, later to the church, says it this way. Above all, he's talking to all these early Christians, love each other deeply. You want to know how you do that? Well, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, if you're really loving to each other, you look upon each other's struggles and failures and you cover them. You don't point them out and live to make them regret. Any of you like to point out the failures of others? Don't we? I do. Oh my goodness. I am more than happy to tell the people around me that I love the places they are letting me down because they're being unreasonable. Why would I give love in any kind of reciprocity when it's extended to me in ways of hurt? You know why? Because it's the way of Jesus and because it's the call of Jesus to love differently. We're not called to be reasonable. We're called to be radical. I know, at least for me, if I were to just think this through, what I'm telling you is you have to always cover this. Now, can't some of you go, wait a minute, you don't know how big the offense is. I mean, there's gotta be a reason not to do it. If you've been this much offense, why would I still be loving in this? Or maybe it's not one big offense, but have you ever had it where someone, you've given a lot of covering a lot of times and they keep doing it? Uh, I'm sorry, they've, they've reached their saturation point, Amen. I mean, I've been reasonable long enough. Why would I still be loving after this? Let's let it, it's time to pay the piper. No more of this. It's not time to be radical. It's time to be reasonable. Here's the struggle. Is Jesus reasonable with us? Did Jesus die for you because, well, you, you did some bad things, but you know, you finally got it right. And I guess you did enough that, yeah, the death will take the rest of care of it. But you, you know, you're doing pretty good on your own. When we think that, we, we over-elevate ourselves and we misunderstand our own brokenness. Paul describes it this way. He says that Christ loved us so much that he died for us while we're still sinners. Christ didn't die so that he could love us. He sees the brokenness in us and the mess in us. And he says, I'm actually going to cover it by taking your place in it and dying for you. Now, I know we get that here. I wonder if we get that here, because when we get that here, we're so much more loving because we've been so much more forgiven. There's this woman who does this extravagant thing to Jesus and pours out all this perfume on him, cries on his feet, wipes his feet with her tears, just sobs over him. And all these people are kind of grossed out by the whole thing. And he tells them, listen, she's been forgiven a lot, so she loves a lot. And then he says, you've been forgiven little, you love little. And they haven't been forgiven little, they just think they're better than her. You see, the impetus for you and I always protecting is that we really get how God does that for us. Do you realize in your darkest struggles, in the things that you still think, I don't know if I'll ever get better at this, Jesus doesn't look and go, man, if it happens one more time, I'm done. He just goes, I love you. I'm here. I love you. I'm here. I love you. I'm here. And he's calling us to love each other the same way. 
Have you noticed in our culture that we rarely give any kind of kindness or grace to someone we're upset with or disagree with? Are we more apt to, to enjoy pointing out what's wrong or covering out of love what's happened? Pro- Proverbs says it this way, the very same thing. It says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love co- covers all wrongs. I wonder in our circumstances if we'd more like to stir up the conflict and be right or cover it and be loving. We want to be reasonable. God's calling us to be radical. Love always, always, always protects. Man, I think that is unbelievably amazing. Let me give you just one picture of this that might be helpful. Peter, when he writes this and says, love covers a multitude of sins, the next statement is that they are to be hospitable to each other. They're to move towards each other with kindness and with care. And that's a picture for me. When we tend to have problems with people, do you ever do this? They do one thing wrong and you've made their whole life wrong? Oh, can you believe it? They did this. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, they're just bad. Oh, look it. If they think this way, they're bad. Well, if they did this, they must be bad. Hospitality moves you towards someone to actually discover the rest of them. Do you know it's hard to be mad and unloving to someone you get to know better? We tend to vilify and objectify people. They're all bad. Instead of going, the more I know you, the more I can love you, and the more I want to protect you. Move towards them in those places that you're saying it's too much. Let me move to this next one, and it's actually the last one in the list, but I'll show you why the middle two work together and give a bigger anchor to all this. The last one is love always perseveres. And, uh, and I, love the, I love the word persevering. It just means to bear under. It's a word that we'd all understand in our minds. Would you agree that life is easier today than it's ever been and you have the most advantages and most of what works for you goes well and simply? I mean, I would. D- don't we have a lot of things at our disposal? Are any of you ever annoyed that something just takes a little bit longer than it should take? This happened to me this morning. I am driving here on M104, and I think the speed limit where I was was about 40, and the car in front of me decided 20 was a much better pace to go. And I not only was horribly irritated, I started to tell myself, they're doing this on purpose. They just want me, they, they, they're they mad. I don't know if they thought I got too close to them. And, and they took forever to get in the left lane so I could zip around them like it's meant to be by the Lord. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can't even be patient. I probably gained, you know, five seconds. Wow, that was time well spent at the risk of my heart and lack of perseverance. I mean, if I can't persevere with that, can you imagine the things I should be persevering over? Now, I get it, I'm lame, but you're lame too, let's not lie. (laughs) Let's be honest. Perseverance, grit, those are hard character traits that we've lost in a lot of ways. Paul's saying, guess what, love actually perseveres and it always perseveres. It keeps battling and living under and continuing on whatever happens. It's actually the encouragement we get from one of the New Testament writers in Hebrews. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You want to know how you persevere? You look at who Jesus is. By the way, he's a pioneer and perfecter of faith. He's the king persevering man. He perseveres like no other. You want to know how? For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He scorns its shame. He sits down at the throne of the Father. 
Jesus doesn't just say persevere, Jesus lived out the most significant perseverance out of love for us. I think of the ways that he's described uh, in different accounts. One of the prophecies describes Jesus as a man familiar with sorrows, one that people hid their faces from. They found him detestable. He persevered a life where he was seen as known and seen with hatred and anger. He sits in a place called Gethsemane the night before he's to be, basically he will get betrayed and then be led to a cross to die. And he says to the father, listen, if there's any way I don't have to do this, I'd like to not. But you know what? I'll persevere your will. I'll persevere your will. I'll persevere your will. I just wonder if we started to embody persevering instead of being so reasonable. (laughs) I persevered for a while, but it really took me past what's reasonable to persevere. I mean, have you ever thought about the limits you draw on how much you'll persevere? You you just wonder, at what point in time do you stop persevering? Do you go, "Ah, I don't think I want to anymore. I thought about this as I was studying and reflecting My dad passed away in 2002, fairly young, with an unexpected heart issue. And I would say my parents had difficulty in their marriage. They both loved God and and I think grew in love with each other, but they persevered. And uh, it was really a beautiful thing at my dad's funeral to turn to my mom and go, Mom, you finished the race well. You persevered and loved our dad. And to really know my dad persevered through the end of this. And I'm not making a statement about any of your marriages if they have failed. That isn't a particular. I'm just remembering the power of seeing perseverance. And seeing God's calling us to be people that persevere with each other. Stop defining how we'll end relationships and what's reasonable and what's reciprocal. And start defining how we love in persevering together and with each other and for each other. I mean, two great things, right? Love covers and love perseveres always. Wow. That's the present. Let me show you the two that really kind of give us a vision for how it's to look moving forward. It says, love always trusts and always hopes. Now, I love this word for trust. We would think just in our human vernacular, trust is just simply means you've, you've done something that's trustworthy and I trust you because you're worthy of it. You've done something that's deserving of my believing you'll be okay. The word here, trust, though, is the same word we use for faith. It's pistis in the Greek. It literally means to have faith in. And make no mistake, it's not saying love has faith in the individual. It's saying that we're to have faith in the very act and disposition and way of love. It means that love trusts and hopes because love believes it's greater than your circumstance or the failures in the people around you. You're not trusting in an individual. You're trusting in the very love of Christ and living that out in a way that will change the world around you, whether you see it or you don't. By the way, that's why trust and hope are put together because you trust even when you don't know. This is how faith and hope work together. It tells us in Hebrews. Faith is a confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we don't see. In other words, love trusts and hopes when it doesn't see what the outcome will be. Can you love people when they may never agree with you about something? Can you love people when they may not become the person you think they should be? Can you love them when they're not wired the way you are to do the things you do and value life the way you do? Can you love them when they still let you down and still hope and trust that that's a good thing, that it leads to something you can't see? 
my first job uh, out of college was as a clinical social worker. I worked in a program with uh, teenagers that had been through severe abuse all the way growing up. And by the time they'd gotten in the system, they had some pretty entrenched, uh, destructive ways of life. In fact, it was always said, if you got a kid younger, you could make a lot more change. And one of the things they kept telling us early on was you've got to stop measuring success by what they do. You need to measure it by what you do. In other words, you measure it by your investment, not by its return. By the way, that's what it means to always trust and always hope. See, what we believe is God gives a return even if we don't see it and even if they don't change. Because living and loving like Jesus changes whether you know or not. That's very simply what Paul is telling us, to love and live in a different way. Now, he gives all of these unique always statements, and then he follows with just one very simple never. Love never fails. Now, in our reasonableness, we're going to say that's not true, aren't we? Because we go, listen, love fails lots of time. You failed me. They failed me. I don't even think God gave me what I needed. He failed me. And I would tell you it's not a fair statement because what you're asking is God failed you in a moment, but God's love never fails us. It means in those failures, God still loves us and is moving. They're just momentary and life circumstance struggles that do not mean God lacks loves. It means that he loves us in it. One of my favorite things about the coming of Jesus is he doesn't come and fix everything, but he comes into poverty and brokenness and despair to say, I'm here. The answer isn't that there won't be pain or suffering. The answer is I'm here. Love comes with us. That's how love doesn't fail us. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love is with us. It is unconditional. It is not reasonable. It is radical. I want you to see how Paul continues this statement because he comes back to you. I wanted you to see how trust and hope fit in with love. At the end of this whole section of the letter, he says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. By the way, faith is trust. So he's saying these three remain, faith, hope, and love. They're interwoven that to truly love, you must look ahead and have faith to believe love will win. You must look ahead and still hope that love will accomplish what it's meant to. And then he's clear, the greatest of them all is love. That's what will really change the world is love. They're bound up together but they're all bound up to be loving. Faith and hope, they're bound up. The way you look and believe, you trust that good will come from being loving. You hope that it will lead to a good result, whether you see it in that individual or not, God moves through it. Well, you wanna say it in a simple way? Love is up for every situation. Whatever you're going through right now, love is enough. Whatever you're dealing with right now, love is enough. Whatever is going on in your brokenness, in your working, in your relationships, at home, at school, in your friendships, at work, in the church, in the community, all those places you are so frustrated that people don't think like you and they're wrong and they're unreasonable, love is bigger than that. Love is never meant to be reasonable, not in Jesus. And man, you and I need to be thankful for that. It's a simple question we should ask. Is love meant to be reasonable or radical? How are you living? Do you understand how deeply Jesus loves you radically? Not reasonably, 
One of the things I find with Christians, we're a sad lot in that we tell people Jesus loves us unconditionally. We live like Jesus loves us reasonably. Boy, he must be so disappointed in me. He must be so down on me. Oh, if he only knew. And we try to earn back things that we never can because we don't really know how deeply loved and deeply forgiven we are. See, love isn't meant to be reasonable. It's meant to be radical. This is our mission to be radically loving and growing together in Christ. It's what we say as Jesus shows us his radical love and gives us and then we're to love differently and we grow up in that kind of love. I, I wanna just kind of close our time by praying for us. I think there's some of us here, some of us online that you've never really embraced the radical love of Jesus and we wanna remind you, we wanna encourage you that the simple step is just acknowledging your brokenness that you can't cover the unloving ways you've lived and Jesus does through his death and resurrection. Then for us who follow Jesus, let's be honest. Are you short when it comes to always and never? Because I am. I'm short anyway, but I'm definitely short on that too. You know what the beauty is? It's saying, Holy Spirit, who lives in us, help. Holy Spirit, give me power. Change me. Help me in this moment when I don't want to protect. I just confess to you, I'd just as soon get them back and be divisive and hateful. Help me to be loving. Holy Spirit, will you help me to persevere when this is difficult right now? Holy Spirit, will you help me to still have hope and still have trust that love is the best way when I want to reasonably say no thank you? That's the call of God in our lives, that we would be known by our love, not by our reasonable, reciprocating kindness, but by our radical, relentless love. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking for any here today who are not followers of you. I pray it wouldn't be my words, but they would hear your very presence saying, I love you, I made you. I love you in all your brokenness and all the mess of you. I pray each one would say to you, Lord, and you can even say these words to him, Lord, forgive me for the places I have been unloving, I have been hateful and hurtful and caused pain. Lord Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness and your death. You're covering me through your death. I receive your forgiveness and then just ask his spirit to live in you. And I pray for any who are following you now that you'd begin that journey with them and help others to come around them. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us here today that claim to follow you. God, as we go out, when we are faced this afternoon with something we must persevere on or something we must cover, or something we must have covered for us, may we grow in our understanding, awareness, and love towards others, our gratefulness of your love for us. Help us to become people that are known for radical love, not reasonable reciprocal love. I pray this in your name, amen.